3: welcome back to see also i'm brodie lancaster and i'm kate jinx and uh hey, hey, hello <laughs> <laughs> this week is uh, a poodle app dedicated to the one the only party girl drag <laughs> it's been a really long time coming it really has this has been on our list for general poodles new year's poodles any kind of party themed occasion oh yeah it's like a permanent see also this film. Yeah. Well, it has everything. Iconic cult indie actors, great
2: soundtrack, the era. We love our mid nineties movies. Particularly in New
3: York. Yeah. Leopard print skirts. Thank you. It's got everything. Tick, tick, tick. tick. The Dewey decimal system. <laughs> it's got it all. It's truly, <laughs> truly got it all.
2: I wrote down like, you know, we usually in a Boodle episode talk about the plot of a film that we're going to be discussing. And my plot for Party Girl was... Mary learns the Dewey
3: Decimal System. <laughs> if you're a new listener, obviously also a poodle episode, because we do get asked from time to time. And it's one of those things where we came up, we just said it and then it became law. Yeah. And then it's like, we understand what it is, but it is... Such a silly thing. Anyway, a poodle episode is where we allow ourselves to go deep on one particular topic. It's usually like a movie or a book or a TV series or, you know, something like that. And why is it called a poodle episode, Jinxie? Oh, it's called... Well, the, the, the big thing is uh, <laughs> because poodles come in different sizes and we refer to our normal episodes as a standard poodle. Uh, and so this would be the toy poodle. But what we is, just call them poodles now. What is, um, what is Top Chef? Top Chef is a toy poodle, but he is like,
2: he's a chunky, chunky toy. Did I ever tell you about a a poodle I met in upstate New York? No. She was a big one. So one of the really oversized long boys. Um, Her name was Genevieve and she was friends with Bill Clinton. (laughs) Cause the, the what fact, about Hillary? The well, I didn't think Hillary wasn't going on walks oh, and mm-hmm. petting Genevieve, mm-hmm. um, like Bill was. And in upstate New York, I guess the owners of this poodle, who was there on the one and only Thanksgiving I've ever been to, yeah, they lived near the Clintons. And uh, Bill always stopped to chat to how would Bill say her name?
3: Genevieve. <laughs> Genev- Genevieve. <Cute> saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that's what a poodle is. Um, But Party Girl, iconic film from 1995, starring Parker Posey as Mary, who is essentially like a party promoter. She's an event organizer. She puts on parties essentially just to pay her rent. We truly have all been there, right? Yeah. And people know her in the city as like the girl she's a girl, she's an it girl of like the downtown party scene. Yeah, she truly is. But she gets thrown in the slammer for having an illegal party and needs to she she has like one phone call, of course, and she calls her aunt. Her aunt doesn't even recognize her on the phone. Godmother? <laughs> and she bails out Parker Posey. And makes her work in the library Mm. that she runs, the public library. And there's this like back and forth of whether Mary's actually any good, whether she's like smart enough to be a librarian. Mary doesn't want to work in the library and then grows, grows to love the stacks, As anyone would. But
2: also I love the distinction that this film makes between being like um, having studied library sciences versus being a clerk and like shelving books. Yes. And like it's such a diss from the other librarians that marry. (laughs) They're like, you're not a librarian. You're just a clerk. And it's like Parker Posey, the coolest girl ever, who you'd be dying to have as your
3: workmate. Yeah. And they don't want her there. No, they hate her. They <laughs> hate her. And I also love that they kind of go into this, like the inner workings, like the inner machinations of how librarians feel about the kinds of libraries they work in. Like whether you're working for a college library, like a Ivy League college or whether you a library or whether you're working at a public library, it's very much like the teacher thing of like, mm. what kind of school are you teaching at? Like, you're a sellout if you go to one of these like stately Ivy institutions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love all that. It must be like just one of the best films to watch as if you are a be it a clerk or a librarian. The director of the film, Daisy Von Scherlermeyer, has said
2: in interviews that she's like, you know, it's not like five librarians a day chasing me down saying they loved the
3: movie, but like librarians love the movie. Yeah, librarians <laughs> would love this movie. Do you know this is the first film I ever programmed, like yeah. for an event? What My a- baby little programming. It was for the Readers Festival in Sydney that um, was running kind of adjacent to the Writers Festival and by um, Angela and Alice. And it was super fun. And I was in this like tiny venue that like we used to also throw parties in. opposite. Perfect. Yeah, totally. Opposite like the mausoleum station, of central station. And What year was this? This would have been, oh, I don't know, like two uh, – Hmm. Maybe 2009 is sure. i actually not, not too sure. And yeah, so we screened this and it was before I understood how film rights worked. So, whoops. So Daisy didn't make anything for Daisy me. Daisy or- didn't, didn't make a dime off me. She so would have sorry, liked Daisy. it
2: though. She would have liked the party, the party space.
3: I think she would have. And I played some shorts before it. I played, um, the feminist bookshop back when Portlandia was just a web series, like before it was an actual TV show. When they were Thunder Ant? Yes, yes. I played those. (laughs) We were
2: watching the same thing at the same time then. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. What was your, what's your history with Party Girl, Jinxie? I want to hear about it.
3: I saw this like when I was a late teen, I guess, for the first time. I watched it as soon as it was available on VHS, I guess. I don't like, I don't have like, like a first time watching. I, I was, I think I watched it because I'd seen clock watchers which was another like hit from Stan, the video man shout out. And he's not there anymore. And, um, I really loved Parker Posey in that. And then the day trippers as well. So then I think I was probably just on some Parker Posey trip at the mm. video store. What about you? What, wait, what's
2: day trippers? Cause I only know, I've never seen clock I only know of it from John early, Tony
3: Colette, law. Yeah. Oh, so clock came out in 97 and it's so great it's about a group of office temps you would kill for the cast it's like tony collette yeah lisa kudrow alana ubak is in there and then the day trippers is from 1996 and actually parker Posey got leave schreiber cast in it Mm. because of like working with him in party girl and it stars stanley tucci uh, Hope Davis and, uh, yeah, Leave Schreiber and Park Posey. It's great. She heard Leave Schreiber's British accent. And she was like, the world oh. needs more of this guy. <laughs> is that what I sound like when
2: I insist on doing British accents on the podcast?
3: <laughs> I love your voice work. So no, but uh, Leave Schreiber's British accent is a problem in this. <laughs> it's like I... It's so easy to cast a British person or an American who can do a British. <laughs> Truly, and he is so bad at it. Yeah, he, this
2: is like lockstock to smoking barrels. It's the level of like Americans doing Australian. It's like oh what man you, what do you what do you say
3: fish and chips? <sighs> That's it. That was better. That's better better than what professional actor Liev Schreiber is doing in this movie. (laughs) That was better. Yeah. So what was your first experience with Party Girl?
2: I feel like I would have, I'm sure my friend Anton would have told me about it when we were at uni watching Thunder Ant videos together. And I think I would have been exposed to it via like Tumblr and like Mm. the aesthetics of the film. Oh, it has like big Tumblr live journal vibes, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And the kind of thing that you like consume in like fragments before you've ever ever watched the whole thing and so I feel like watching the whole thing I was included into like the tone of the film I think when I first watched it I was probably expect because I knew Parker Posey so I was so familiar with Parker Posey by then I think I was expecting like a comedy like Mm. jokes and laughs and setups I think the tone of the film I was a little like oh I'm not sure how to take this but then I watched it again a few years later and I think by then I had like a, lived in New York, but also B, met some Marys.
3: <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so I think
2: I think for party girl to really land, you need to have been exposed to girls who everyone knows and no one's quite sure where they met them and no one's quite sure where they live or how they pay their rent, but they're always well-dressed and they're always at parties and they're always fun and they're always hooking up with someone hot. And you can't picture these kinds of girls in daylight Like they they only exist in everyone's collective imagination underneath strobe lights or like, you know, balloons.
3: Yeah. I feel like Mary in this, if she had gone a little bit more, like slightly more legitimate in her party um, promotion, she would have been like repped by Caitlin Phillips or something.
2: Jinxie. literally (laughs) same. She would have been in New York mags, it girl issue in 2023. She also would have been the kind of person that we both have followed on Instagram for like 20 years. But then you go Instagram hasn't even existed for 20 years, but you know what I mean? Like someone you've followed across the internet, she probably had an opening ceremony collab like 15 years ago. And now she's like, you'd look at her Instagram every now and then and you're like, is this chick always pregnant? And like she's like married someone really rich who you never see or hear from, but she's always like doing something kind of fabulous and maybe it's gone a little granola. Mm. We all have those people who we, we follow on Instagram.
3: Those <laughs> yes. I have yes. names I'm not saying, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I love that the first person that you see in this movie, and it sets the tone for the entire film, it's Lady Bunny. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the first person you see, like, walking down some stairs, like, on your way up into the party. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, here we are. I know this scene. I understand it. Mm -hmm. And in the credits, Lady Bunny is written as, like, the quotation marks
2: Lady Bunny as itself. (laughs) ah <laughs> uh, great excellent <laughs> very good I like to imagine RuPaul watching this movie as a as someone in Lady Bunny's circle
3: yeah totally I mean and the soundtrack is so Slay Diva boots the house down you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. yes it truly really is it's extreme like I don't know I guess it's like what Every, like the kind of house music that everyone's suddenly mm. listening to again. It's like, mm. just, just listen to the Party girl soundtrack, you're fine.
2: Yeah, like Leo, played by Guillermo Diaz, who plays her, Mary's like friend slash roommate, who like they try to kiss and then they're like gross at one point. He's like... <laughs> Actually... what You say it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they kiss in the shower, um, Mary and... What's his name? Leo. And Leo. So Mary and Leo kiss in the shower because Leo comes home late from a DJ session and Mary's like, I've got to go to work. Get out of the shower. And then she just gets into the shower and joins him and has a shower and then they kiss and then she shudders and says, incest. (laughs) And that's the
2: end of it. (laughs) Her delivery of that and every line in this movie is like so, she's so muted compared to what I like Parker Posey can be in like a real Bombastic like comedic performance It's almost like one of her Christopher Guest characters Where she's kind of like chewing gum I mean,
3: i get d- me right back to waiting for government At the DQ. At the DQ. She just wants to meet an, a guy, an yeah. Italian guy. But I feel like my, like coming into this movie, I would have known Parker
2: Posey primarily from Josie and the Pussycats, where I she's am. like outrageous. And then also films like um, Scream 3. And Days, w- and Confused, Days and Confused. Dazed and Confused, where yeah. she's like so larger than life.
3: Yeah. And so there is Some something like- Squeal little piggies.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So there's something quite muted about her, not muted by any means, like Mary's like an iconic, incredible, like fun, energetic character. But like there's something in her performance that is like she's not overplaying it, which is really great.
3: I guess she's kind of fresh in this, Mm. like it's one of her kind of earlier roles. It's like right on the precipice of Parker Posey being a massive, massive, like, indie it girl. Mm. This is like, you know, she's about to work with Hal Hartley Mm. at all. Um, but I was watching this interview with her, uh, that, cause there was a Blu-ray release finally of this film earlier this year. It's been remastered and it's because it's been like really hard to get. Like I've got the shittiest old yeah. DVD of it, uh, until I got the Blu-ray and she talks about how she was actually inspired by screwball comedies, um, to, to play Mary and that she, Worked a lot with the director just mostly on, like, blocking, um, like, ways to move with certain words, she said. And um, in an interview in IndieWire, she said, a special shout-out to the librarians who also enjoy being silly on the dance floor. (laughs) I
2: love that. So cute. So cute. There was an interview in, I think it was in Little White Lies, and as always, these links will all be in the show notes. And she described playing Mary as Daffy. And she said, That's I don't- That's such a good word. Sorry to cut you off, but truly, Daffy is such a good word for Parker Bosey. Yes. And then she said, I don't even know exactly what that means. It's just kind of empty, but playful with some screws missing. It's a magical thinker who's in her own world and is living life by instinct and heart and not really questioning things. Oh God, Parker. And I feel like, okay, we were going to get there eventually, but, like, I feel like this is a a good segue into the criticisms of this film as being kind of, like, culturally insensitive or, like, exoticizing Mustafa, who is the falafel guy that Mary ends up having, like, a romance with. And they have this kind of, like, Lebanese-themed Arabian Nights, like, kind of merging of lots of Middle Eastern
3: cultures-themed party. Yeah, that is the one segment where because I hadn't seen it in a little while and then I re-watched it and was like oh, I'd, I'd actually forgotten a little bit about this. Yeah but um there's, there's like
2: Letterboxd did enacted some torture on Daisy Von Schirle Mayer the writer director and the music supervisor Bill Coleman where they made them read reviews of Party Girl starting at five stars and going into like the three-star reviews and I was like jail for Letterboxd for doing that. I don't I hate that stuff I it's, truly am not interested in it it's so of the like 2011 internet like read (laughs) tweets
3: about yourself oh my god someone said this mean thing about me i'm like uh, and then you just have to react in a fun way to show that you're not a total like press and yeah it's
2: like i I don't know i'm not into it but she says she like resists that criticism and i think she she kind of defends it in a pretty smart way where she kind of is like mary is insensitive like she's She's got no idea yeah she's like a daffy clueless girl yeah but she essentially says in this video which again we'll link she's like i'm fine with those criticisms but don't apply them to the film apply them to the character like it's not me being insensitive it's not parker posey being insensitive it's mary this character who has never met someone from the middle east in her entire life let alone had a personal relationship with him um and she, she said in this really great interview with Rich Joswiak at Jezebel that she wanted to create, like in the cast, like this, this kind of diverse, playful ensemble cast. She thinks of the film as being about, quote, all the side characters in other films, so like, <laughs> you know, great. Guillermo Diaz as Leo, the DJ, um, Anthony DeSando as Mary's gay friend, Derek, Lee Schreiber, um, as the bouncer, Nigel, and then her own mother, Sasha Monchurla as Mary's librarian godmother, Judy. Yeah. So the idea of these kind of all these, you know, characters who never had like fully fleshed out worlds getting like a little more time. I mean, like Derek, the, the the gay best
3: friend, is kind of still relegated to gay best friend, but... He is. Yeah, but he's an iconic one. He's an iconic one. He's very good. Yeah, the whole exoticizing thing. I think it's kind of an interesting look in at it because... So, the, if you're not that familiar, haven't seen it for a while, Mary goes to this one falafel stand and she has the same order every single day. And she says, Can I have a falafel with hot sauce, a side order of Baba Ganoush and a seltzer, please? So that's what she has every single day. And it's a perfect order, Mary. Yeah, it's such a good order.
2: It's such a good order. She's getting bread with her Baba ganoush, we're assuming,
3: right? Yeah, I'm guessing. Or she's not getting her falafel in a wrap, maybe. I think she's getting the falafel in a wrap and then the Baba is just kind of on the falafel. Mm. And and she's getting so she can eat it all in one go there's it's, no like it's two on the side sure gotcha no, I, I hadn't actually thought about that because no, she just walks away with one yeah i had thought about it and i
2: because i was like if i got a side order of baba ganache i'd be expecting it in a container on the side but she's not dunking
3: anything no she's not done it's already done it's like when you get a hot dog with like mustard and sauce already on it yeah you get a with mustard it's already on there she's got falafel and hot sauce she only really has two hands babe yeah Look, she doesn't order, like, Sally and When Harry Met Sally, who would have been, like, on the side, not touching, with bread. Did you make it fresh today? Yeah. Uh, And so she goes and gets this from Mustafa every day. But the thing I really love in this film is when Mustafa is watching this falafel stand that's been set up across (laughs) the road, which is, like, run by two white people, and it has, like, the most futuristic, like, weirdly postmodern design of a falafel cart you've ever seen. It looks great can i say it's like watching ray in girls
2: responding to like gentrified coffee shops in brooklyn
3: totally and so he's got the real deal and these two like white kids are you know, in their like fancy little uniforms that their dad's paid for and they're serving falafels on toothpicks and, and he's that's just the most like, offensive yeah, part <laughs> he's watching it in absolute horror he's so angry about it but You know, Mary keeps supporting uh, Mustafa's biz. She doesn't go across the road, Mm -mm. even though it would suit one of her outfits, I'm sure. (laughs) And, you know, and they kind of fall into this sort of romantic kind of flirtation. Mm -hmm. And then by the time she has the Middle Eastern themed party, which I don't, you know, don't think it's shouldn't be doing that now, um, but... (laughs) She, he is serving falafels and Mustafa gets really mad about it. And then she goes up to him and says, It's funny that you're making falafels. And I think that that's really a moment for the audience to be like, mm-hmm. Oh, God, Mary, mm-hmm. like, she's not our, the heroine that you think she is. Like, yeah, she's this, like, down on her luck party girl who's, like, learning the ways of the library. But mm-hmm. she is culturally insensitive. She does have a really narrow worldview. And that's what the film is about, is like that kind of breaking open. Mm. It would have been really false if she had gotten really good at the Dewey decimal
2: system and like, Learned to respect all cultures and be really culturally sensitive purely because of her relationship with Mustafa. Like that would have felt really false.
3: Totally. And like, there's a scene where she's doing like she's about to go on a date with him, and she's doing this like terrible singing in this like vaguely Middle Eastern way, and like swinging her hips about. It's like a truly tr- really bad scene. It's but like it's when like Samantha
2: Jones dated the black guy in season three,
3: hundred percent. But it's very much about like we're seeing her. Ex- exoticize him in this way that we all know is like not great. And it's, yeah, it's like about seeing her narrow world view. Mm. There is a
2: montage of her ordering her falafel with hot sauce and baba ganoush on the side and a seltzer day after day after day. And it's really just an excuse to see outfits. Okay. We're up to the outfits, are we? Well, I just, I was watching this and I was like, this is like what the scene of Anne Hathaway when she finally gets clothes in the Devil West Prada <laughs> wishes it could be. Like mm-hmm. that like her face is a map of the world. Or like or <laughs> Suddenly the of the I see, or whatever the
3: song is. It is that song? It's um I don't know the lyrics at all, but that's the only thing I know. But
2: I'm realizing now is that the montage they're getting ready at the very start of the movie montage and there's a different <laughs> Suddenly I see. Yeah maybe it's that. It's very Katie Tunstall coded Devil West Prada. <laughs> but anyway, that Mary arriving to the falafel every single day to see Mustafa. Also, just before we get to the outfits and move on from Mustafa, when they first kissed, they're fully pashing. Mm. And it really just made me aware that like people don't pash anymore <laughs> in movies. You don't really see people like tongue each other
3: down, like in a hot, like a really hot locked-in pash. Well, Yeah, I don't think there was an intimacy coordinator on this.
2: They're making out. That's a better word. Like, people don't really make out in movies anymore.
3: Yeah. I think Parker does every time she is doing that on screen. Bo is afraid. (laughs) She's real Yeah. I mean, Parker's up for anything.
2: Cause yeah, Mustafa's cute. Apparently he sometimes emails Daisy Von Schirlemaier from like a yacht or something. She's like, I don't really, (laughs) he was in one movie and it was mine. And no one really knows what he does now, but he has a lot of money.
3: (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. He's doesn't come up in any of the interviews. He seems unreachable. Yeah. It's, I kind of like it. The mystery of Mustafa. Look, he's
2: fulfilled a lot of fantasies by like having sex with her in, a, in the library stacks. He's done his duty to culture forever.
3: He, he really, he really, really has. Okay. The outfits, the outfits are amazing. They are so good. It's one of the best, like, I can't even. What Parker wears in this film and like working with the, um, actual costume designer. I cannot remember their name right now, but, uh, there was an interview I read with her and basically there was just no budget at all for this film. There was no real budget. They could not get designer stuff. They Mm. couldn't get any stuff. So they just borrowed it and they raided Parker's own wardrobe. They raided the costume designer's wardrobe and the costume designer's best friends. And so the costume designer's best friend had like some designer stuff and was like, I will kill you if you get something on this. And so, like, every scene, Parker had to be, like, just super, super careful that she wasn't getting it dirty. (laughs) Don't get the baba ganoush near the Todd Oldham. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love that scene when... Mary super down on her luck goes to sell some things and um oh, it's so <laughs> heartbreaking it's shit that she could never afford to buy again or ever find again totally and when the woman who says like this is vintage not designer i just wanted to weep watching this because yeah, it was vintage, not designer in 1995, but the, those clothes that were vintage in 1995. I can you imagine the oh my cost God. now? I know. Oh, my God. Even as like someone I, I brought, bring it up a lot that like I, I worked in a vintage shop for a long time. But the difference in what you see in secondhand stores now, even compared to like my day in like I started working one in 2001. The difference in quality of clothes that you see Mm. now is just out of control. Like it's so fast fashion. It's so synthetic. Mm -hmm. You pay so much money because people are much more savvy also because of the internet. And so there are more like Instagram sellers, eBay, Depop, what have you. The the scarcity. The scarcity. So it is really hard to get that good stuff anymore. But like it used to just be so... Like, when I was a teenager, it was so easy. Like, I wore completely, completely thrifted stuff.
2: Mm. Well, because also in the 90s and 2000s, vintage was from incredible fashion decades of the 70s and the 80s, whereas now we have... Y2K. 2001 to aspire to. Like, take me out back and shoot me in the fucking head.
3: Which is what the kids are wearing, but it's not what I'm wearing. It's not what
2: the... What are we, if not kids? It's all the women are
3: wearing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not wearing low slung fucking pants anytime soon. And I, I don't, didn't wear them then. No, and I don't want.
2: There's nothing aspirational about Von Dutch sequined
3: hats <laughs> or tops to me. When are those tops that have? They're like Von Dutch adjacent, but <laughs> they uh, they look like you've got tattoos on your arms. Remember those, like really uh, tight, sort Ed of Hardy. meshy. They're Ed Hardy, are they? Ed Hardy was uh, very Ed tattoo culture, back, right?
2: Yeah. Mm. We could go full salt burn with the juicy couture sweatpants. Yeah, I guess so. I think juicy's funny. Juicy's fine. Remember when Britney wore juicy to her wedding after her wedding? No, I don't. Her K fed wedding, they all had juicy sweatsuits. That Uh, was like, that was iconic. (laughs) I guess so. I never could wear them because I was always too chubby for for <laughs> juicy as a teen in the early 2000s.
3: Who's that Australian author slash kind of Canadian? What's her name? Kate. What's her name? She's She used to always be on the panel. Langbrook? Kate Langbrook, yes. She always wore those shirts, I remember, on the panel of like a Did tight you? sort of top that had some vague like floral or like asian print and then like a huh. almost meshy sleeve with like a yeah that was really her my lock. sister had a supre it was
2: like her go to going out top which was a black supre singlet and it had white hand prints <laughs> over the tits <laughs> <laughs> she'll be listening to this she'll love that shirt well cool.
3: i mean recently i bought a skirt that has 3D puffy hands on the side of it. That is so, so Parker Posey coated. That is pretty She Party would have Girl wear actually that, isn't worn it? that in Party Girl or in Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah, she would have. I feel good about that. Um, I really love, I mean, I love all of the outfits. I can't pick one, but if you go to our Instagram, you will see I have prepared many slides of all of her fashions <laughs> for you to revisit in at your own leisure. I don't
2: want to just quote Parker Posey interviews, but. Um, Um, I'm going to. There was a really sweet moment in that Little White Lies interview with her about the re-release of this film where she talked about the 90s and like being in the world and shopping and things like that. She said, in the 90s, I remember running outside and going to the deli in my slippers and a slip and you could just run outside. It was flirty and madcap. There was this joy and this bounce. In the 90s, there were more people on the sidewalks and working on indie movies and living in a rent-controlled apartment. There was freedom and spontaneity to walk around and go to flea markets and bookstores. There was that kind of grunginess. And you'd run into people just by walking around. And then she just goes on a tangent about like, f- like flirting with the city and like being outside and like seeing people. And like that's so much of what Mary dresses for is like, being out in the world and being this kind of like little character in her like storybook
3: New York. Yeah, I mean, people think of New York as being Chloe Seven New City, and sure it is, but it truly is Parker Posey City. Parker Posey is—I oh, was the number one celeb I have seen and run into in new york i have seen her when i was living there she was just absolutely everywhere really she was constantly at comedy nights at pianos on the East side uh-huh. um she i remember once she came up to my friend and was like i have the same coat
2: oh, <laughs> it's oh true gosh. she did
3: um and then she the next time i saw her she slipped over so dramatically hey. in the snow and made like a meal out of it. It was amazing. Like, she knew everyone was watching she it. She did was a routine. So she did the full routine, <laughs> loved her for it. Um, it looked slightly painful. And once I saw her, like, I used to see her all the time. But once I saw, like, Spider, like, the first time, that, is it the Toby McGuire? You're talking about Spider-Man? Yeah. Yes. Spider-Man and Kiki... Toby Maguire and Kiki Dance. Yes. So I went to see that in the cinema and Parker Posey was sitting Stop. in front of us. Stop. And she had smuggled in her dog, Gracie. And so Gracie was in the bag. And so I... Never saw that movie because all I did was look at Parker Posey and Gracie like I had no idea what was going on. Like how could you? How could you? It was also, just like a random session at some like shitty cinema. It wasn't like a, some big event. It was just like <gasps> I heard Parker Posey's on a podcast talking about all the times she fell over and went to the movies with Kate Jenks. I finally. <laughs> have you ever listened to her episode on Mark Maron? Because no. he it will drive you crazy because he interrupts her so, this is like in this is like men many, many years ago. Mm. So probably like 2011, 2012. Mm. And yeah, uh, that was my, that was my cutoff. That's actually why I stopped listening to Mm. WTF because I was like, you don't interrupt Pucker Post. It was
2: your 13th reason.
3: (laughs) It was my 13th reason.
2: Speaking of her being interrupted by like comedian men, she was on Conan to promote this in 1995. And there's a clip of it online. And In describing the plot of the movie, she just like says to him and Andy Richter, picture me in a library. That's funny. (laughs) <laughs> and then she tells this like long story about being at a party with her, like her best gay male friend and Evan Dando being there. So it's very your culture jinxy. And <laughs> she describes that they see Eartha Kitt and they just want to get a photo taken with Eartha Kitt. So obviously I'm Googling trying to find this photo yeah. and I couldn't find it. But um, she ends the story and Conan and Andy Richter after like, well, Conan mostly interrupting her the entire way through telling this anecdote. They at the end were kind of like, that's the story. That's not a great story. That's the story. And then she just looks at them and goes, am I a freak?
3: <laughs> yeah, she is. And that's why we love you. Yeah, she's such a, she's too much
2: of a freak for Conan. And that's the exact right kind of person to be.
3: It really is. Apparently Liv Schreiber said to Parker Posey after they had wrapped Party Girl. I really thought you were an idiot when I met you. <laughs> And she loves that. She was like, isn't that great? Isn't that so funny? It's so funny. (laughs) Also, she, um, when this premiered at Sundance... When people were interviewing her, she made up this story for all of the interviews that Daisy Von Schellemeyer spotted her working at the makeup counter of a department store and like thought she'd be perfect for this. And like she'd never acted before. This was her first role. And this is what she was just telling every interview and then being like shocked that people just believed her. And then she just wouldn't correct them, but she'd be shocked every time. She's so, in that way, she's
2: so, like, Amy Sedaris in that she's, like, she has real fun with being famous and having, like a microphone or a camera in her face. She's like, I'm going to play. This is like an opportunity for me to be silly.
3: Yeah. There's like not a lot of disclaimers. Like she's just like, <laughs> what you see is what you get, but also it's not because I'm not telling you the right thing.
2: I feel like I would have read that story about her being discovered at a makeup counter and just being like,
3: oh my God, amazing. Well, it is literally the plot of that terrible show that starring um, Kim Cattrall that I watched watched oh, out glamorous watch that? glamorous. That is essentially You can say Muppets <laughs> take Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> same diff, same diff. Joan Rivers yeah. at the makeup counter with Miss Piggy. Ah, so good. I also love that Parker just put all of her friends in this film. So oh, there she? are all these like amazing party scenes or like she's talking to oh, what are their names? Wendell and someone um, these two guys that are like often in scenes together arriving together and they just kind of are ad libbing mm. because they just like have all these inside jokes that are just on screen because it's like just them having fun on set because they all did used to party together so it does have that kind of true authenticity to it like it does feel like they're having a good time on set or having a good time at the party Who's the um Who's the person
2: she greets in such an incredible way when she goes into Leave the club that Leaf Shriver works at? It's like Natasha, N- Natasha, and then they kind of like Vogue together, and everyone
3: just like watches watches Mary, yeah. And Natasha is so great and graceful and amazing, and <laughs> Parker Posey just has the most. <laughs> bored look on her face while she's doing it striking these poses and like not actually holding it because like her face is just like so heavy with like dramatic emotion that like she's just moving everywhere it's so good it really
2: just gives the vibe of mary going to like the paris is burning parties fully and just like smoking a cigarette in the crowd and just kind of like being really straight faced while everyone else is cheering and then being like i could do that
3: (laughs) yeah yeah she is she's ball culture like yeah (laughs) she's ball culture like these days a
2: straight woman kind of like a straight white woman using like kind of ball vernacular is like so played out. But I have this theory that like Mary as a real person in our history, was like the first to ever do it.
3: <laughs> I think so. There are just so like Natasha, 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 like brings us to so many moments of Mary being fully iconic. Um, can I tell you some of my favorite lines in this film that I am like have Quoted since I first I love when she's like having a bad time and she says, I would like a nice, powerful, <laughs> mind altering substance, preferably something that will make my unborn child grow gills. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that a lot. Is that our energy for our, our second anniversary dinner that's coming up, Sandy? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I love when um, like these two people arrive to the party and say, What's up? And she says, The rent, and I'm not paying. <laughs> Leo, the DJ is like trying to come up with like, he's trying to get this gig DJing and, um, with God, what's her name like Diana, the woman that he's trying to get hired by. I can't remember. Struggling with her alcoholism. Yeah. He
2: wants to go to meetings with Mary.
3: Yeah. And, um, she's like, just say that you DJed in London. And he's like, yeah, but why did I leave London? And she says, you've got sick of all the street fashion in London. All those hats. (laughs) Like a reason to leave the United Kingdom is because you, you got sick of the hats. It's amazing. Also for Mary, Ms. Hat and Gloves to be the one to say it too. It's so good. And then when the, there's like that go-go dancer who like kind of gets mm. with Leo. And she has like a single name. I can't remember what it is. She's
2: That's giving very much boiler room. It's like the Catronata <laughs> boiler room where he's playing. And there's like a really cool girl with like curly hair who's a singer, I think. Like doing very sexy dancing, a couple of people down from him. That's very Leo and the go-go dancer.
3: It, yeah, it is. Um, and then she says, like she she gets annoyed by Mary. I can't remember what's happening. And then Mary just says, "Talk to me when you get a last name." Oh. <laughs> I love it. And then uh, one of the, I think it's like the gay best friend. Sorry, gay best friend, Derek. Derek, when he says, "It's so decadent, so silly, so Mary." <laughs>
2: I love the, it. The dream to be understood by your gay like that. Yeah. I like when he says he's talking about this guy Carl. Carl, all all movie, Carl is like not returning his cause or evading him. And he says, Carl and I connected that night from the essence, from the ancient center of our beings. And Mary says, The two of you are on ecstasy. It dries out your spinal fluid. <laughs> And my only other one is that when Mary has heard about the myth of Sisyphus from Mustafa (laughs) and then tries to it like really hit something in her and she decides she's an existentialist and she's trying to explain it to Leo. And she says, it's a myth about this guy who had to roll or push this incredibly huge rock up this steep mountain. Every time he would get to the top of the mountain, the rock would roll down again. He'd watch this and walk back down the mountain and do it all over again, forever. And then Leo just goes,
3: drag. (laughs) And she says it's a metaphor for life leo it's famous <laughs> it's giving Cher horowitz in clueless when she corrects paul rudd's like older girlfriend <laughs> and, and like she says um it's when the other girl heather misquotes hamlet and then share steps in and says like uh hamlet didn't say that it was like that polonius guy did <laughs> And then the other girl says like I think I remember Hamlet accurately And she's like Well I think I remember Mel Gibson accurately
2: (laughs) And Borat's little smirk on his face Looking Uh, at her in the rearview mirror I thought you said
3: Borat's little smirk (laughs) I was like Wow that's a different movie Amazing. My steps is though. <laughs> no, um,
2: um fun fact. Yeah. You know how there's like a fight with the guy who's in line at the club where Leaf Schreiber is the bouncer? Oh, yeah. Um, that's Artie Buko from The Sopranos and he's oh. credited as tough guy. <laughs> I love looking at those kinds of credits. No one less tough in the history of film or TV than Artie Bucco, Artie Bucco. the cook from Sopranos.
3: Um, I love when she is, like, starting to really get into the library sciences and she orders Leo's uh, vinyl by so the Dewey Decimal It's sister.
2: so good. It's so good.
3: And then I just love how you can see, like, all the genres that she's picked out and there's, like, divas, male. It's like, it's just so good. And she's like, I made 700 card catalogs. It took
2: me all day, Leo. And he's so furious at her. And it just does not phase her daffy little face one bit. She's like, you should be grateful to me. And I'm so grateful to her because that's like, you know, it tickles something in my brain, the spreadsheet of it all. But yeah, her her like subcategories within the categories. I really have gone through phases in my life, maybe spurred on by each viewing of this film. To learn the Dewey Decimal System. Oh, wow. Like, I really would like to understand that level of, like, cataloguing, but I wouldn't use it for anything in my life.
3: No, I mean, like, I'm a genre slash alphabetical. I'm
2: alphabetical always. Yeah. I'm, like, format first. So, like, DVDs, VHS, books, coffee table books, magazines, you know, et cetera. And within, like, magazines, it's year, you know, it's organized chronologically, but everything else is alphabetical.
3: Okay. What about books in the, do you, do you separate nonfiction from fiction? Mm -mm. (gasps) Oh, my,
2: well, my bookshelves are all behind me. I can see your eyes darting around, but I only have them organized in here based on what I've read and haven't read. Oh, okay. And so I, I kind of shop from half my bookshelf.
3: Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. See, I go, God, now I'm realizing how, what a pill F- I am. Fiction and nonfiction is an interesting one. I would like to do that. that I, oh, I go further than that. I do fiction and nonfiction. And then within the nonfiction, then I have like, like, um, topics. Huh? So I have like, Say so I have all my memoirs together, my collections of essays together. Like if books on craft or books on like houses or like interiors, design, mm. stuff like like mm. textiles, they're all separated into, oh God. I love your bookshelves. I need to spend a little more time down yeah, that little... Now that I say it out loud, it's a little much, hey? No, no. What about like vinyl? Like I, I have, I'm A to Z, but then I have a section for like... Uh, compilations and a section for like, mm. um, uh, like soundtracks.
2: I like that. My vinyl isn't organized at all. My vinyl and my CDs is purely just like space, space reasons. It used to be all alphabetical, but I've moved so many times. Mm. No, that's do you still a lot. have CDs? Yeah, I have. I used to have a lot more CDs and a lot more DVDs and VHS than I do
3: now, but I have like a kind of plastic like crate full of cds still uh, yeah see i at one stage because i was moving so much i put i took i like i got rid of all of the jewel cases and i put them into mm. those like cd booklets that yeah. have like four to a page and i used those for years and then when i moved again like for the last time i was like i can't even lug. like i've got too many of these yeah and so i spent like too much time um converting them to like mp3s or something yeah ipod yeah but now it's like they all those cds that i spent i think so much money on and like really collected from a long for a long time Mm. i don't even know where that like external hard drive is
2: yeah i've got no idea i've got like two broken ones behind me but i also learned something really distressing earlier this year when i had to dj at melbourne zoo they had like two brand new Pioneer CDJs set up and I was DJing before, I think it was 10 things I had about you. And so perfect film soundtrack as far mm. as I'm concerned. And so I bought a bunch of my like teen movie soundtracks to play and I still have them on, I've got like, can't hardly wait on CD. <gasps> I've got like, like a bunch looking for a brandy, like a bunch on CD and I brought them all. Cause I was like, this is how I should be DJing before mm. this film. And I, had such tech issues because i was like fuck my burned cds my my bought cds they keep getting spat out by the cdjs pioneer cdjs made and released now brand new ones don't play cds why what why they're called cdjs they have cd slots and they only play mp3s or ox or they like connect through to your like decks
3: So do they, what,
2: so do you, if you had like a burnt CD with. You you put it in and it spins and it thinks, and then it spits it out. Those fuckers. And I thought I'd done something wrong. And then our tech guru friend of the show, Harvey Sutherland, arrived and looked it up because he couldn't figure it out either. So I was like, no, it really is an issue. And he was like, yeah, they, they don't play them anymore. And then I tweeted, CDJs don't play CDs anymore. Call them USBJs
3: yeah what is this world
2: coming to i know it's actually really distressing and if you uh listener agree that this is this is not how it should be (laughs) let's like start a petition or something change.org i've got my little like usb plug-in cd drive that i can still like burn cds with (laughs) because it's so important to me to have that
3: utility yeah of course Anyway, so Party Girl. Anyway, so Party Girl. My other favorite um, genre of music um, is too druggy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's one of, one one of them. them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to screenshot that
2: and, like, take notes and write them down yeah. on our Instagram or something. Yeah, we do. But that, um, that montage of as, like, Believe In Me is playing as Mary's learning the Dewey Decimal System, mm. like, I was getting so pumped up for her. I was like, I fucking believe in you,
3: Mary. Oh, so do I. And, like, you know, that brings us to the kind of final scene where she decides... She's actually going to, like, go and learn the library sciences. Her little glasses. And she comes in, like, black turtleneck. Like, she's – and it's still a great look. It is. And she's so –
2: like, she really doesn't – Feel yet like her party girl side and her librarians, her aspiring librarian side can like gel together because her friends have thrown her this incredible surprise birthday party with a pinata. And a stripper. And a stripper. But the pinata. The, the pinata. pinata. And but she needs Judy to come over so she can tell her that she's serious. She knows the Dewey Decimal system. She's gonna become a librarian. And she's so afraid that Judy won't take her seriously because there's a birthday party going on
3: in her apartment. But she can be both. She can be both. Well, it's all because they godmother has said the entire time things like uh, your mother was a woman with no common sense. <laughs> so like what's she what's a girl to do? What's a girl to do? Judy you've got to be nicer to your friend R.I.P. Mary's mom. Yeah she does. I love when the friends all stick up for um, Mary though about like actually she really is interested in library sciences. Yeah. I think it's Derek who says she lent me a book on body piercing. That's true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, they all just tell anecdotes about like needing a book and Mary Fun. Finding- <laughs> it's so good. It's
3: so good. It's
2: really good. A fun. Not so fun fact, but an interesting fact that I learned from that. The interview that Rich Jaswiak from Jezebel, RAP Jezebel, by the way, um, did with uh, director Daisy Von Schirlemeyer, is um, he kind of put the film's release into the context of the club kid murders that happened in New York like a year later. And he said the movie Party Girl kind of summarized and ultimately eulogized an era like it kind of that downtown club scene was so affected by... That news that um, by the time this movie came out, the scene that it was capturing kind of was no more.
3: Yeah, that's really true. Mm. God, I want to watch that party monster again. I've never seen it. Oh, you have to watch that. And then like when the club kids appeared on, like Donahue was it Donahue the okay. TV show? It was Igby goes down? That's sep- very separate. Very separate. Yeah. I think it's just that there's a cold kind of in you. And York. I've just
2: combined them in I my think head.
3: So I don't remember my I remember seeing Iggy Beat Goes Down when it first came out, but there was something about it. I used to always see it at the video shop and even like as a kid who had
2: no boundaries around what I could and couldn't watch, I was like, I'm not ready for whatever this is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if that's true. I did the same thing with Wayne's World. I didn't see Wayne's World until I was like 20. And I was like, oh, I could have been watching this this whole time. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing that with my dad my sister when I was a kid when it came out. It was on my dad's VHS shelf next to like Malcolm X and like other intense movies. And mm. so I think in my head it's always been off limits.
3: <laughs> oh, well, I think my dad was shocked by it. I think my sister probably chose to, to take World. us to see it. Yeah, it's not his vibe. Mm, okay. No. All right, Jinxie, do you have some party girl see also's? I sure do. I think you have referenced every interview that I was going to. So oh. they're in the show notes. <laughs> so that's great. Also the films Clockwatchers and the Day Trippers with Parker Posey. If you've got Criterion channel access, they've actually just released a Parker Posey set. So pretty much oh. like all her films are now available to stream. I think there's like not all of them, but there's probably like 20 or something. Oh, wow. Um, so that's great. I also recommend her own memoir, which was called You're on an Airplane, a self-mythologizing memoir uh, by Parker Posey. It came out in 2018. I remember receiving a number of those books for Christmas that year. Do you have any spare? Because I never read it. I Have a look. It's really good. I'll lend it to you anyway. Go through the
2: Kate Jinx decimal system and see <laughs> yeah, totally. where it lands.
3: <laughs> so it's in my memoirs. It's under
2: nonfiction memoir celebrity indie actress.
3: <laughs> it's under nonfiction memoir P. Love that. Yeah. Um, and I also – I think that that's, this is a good – Uh, spin-off to re-watching or watching High Octane, Mm -hmm. which has a similar Mm. sense of kind of loopy fun. We did a whole episode on it. Um, Of course, it's by Sophia Coppola and Zoe Cassavetes. It's all on YouTube. And my last... Downtown, like, droll queens. Yes, totally. Uh, And my last one is a film from... that's kind of like a precursor, in a way, to Party Girl. It's... Also set in New York. It's um, from 1989. It's called Slaves of New York based on the uh, Tom Janowitz book of stories. It's really fun. It's um, I remember my sister really loving it when I was growing up, but it was like one of those things that was a bit too old for me. I didn't get it until mm-hmm. I watched it much later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it stars Bernadette Peters. Uh, it has a great, great cast in it. I think there's super Buscemi's in it as well, uh, but it's a Directed by um, James Ivory. Anyway, it's super fun. It's really good. And it's like a lot of New York, like, art scene parties. Okay. What was that called again? Slaves of New York. Slaves of New York. All right. Yeah. So
2: I'll add the uh, Little White Lies interview, the Jezebel one, those couple of clips of um, Parker Posey and the... (laughs) letterbox torture um and my only other one is recommending 200 cigarettes another movie that is very hard to track down uh that Guillermo Diaz who plays Leo is also in and has long been on our list for a poodle we'll get there eventually it's not going anywhere
3: no get the DVD or eBay.
2: yeah it's a real one of those isn't it <laughs> Criterion when are you releasing 200 cigarettes baby get Courtney Love on a press tour
3: <laughs> oh my god yes don't no don't actually don't no don't
2: alright thanks so much for listening you can find all the photos of Mary's looks and other juicy bits from Party Girl over on our Instagram at see also podcast and if you're not following us
3: already uh, that's where you do it that is where you do it thanks as ever to Samuel Hodge for our imagery and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music bye see ya